Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. Normally, you would hear the Progressive Commentary Hour Monday evenings, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. However, as of today, we're going to be having it every Tuesday, 7 to 8 p.m. So just change your calendar, please change your schedule, Tuesday, 7 to 8, for the Progressive Commentary Hour. most precarious out there, friends, but as the great blues traveler band reminds us each week, don't give up, don't you dare give in. Otherwise, you know what? The corporate persons and their economic royalist enablers will win, and we'll be living through another great depression, which is coming anyway. But don't you give up and don't allow disaster, as John Popper, one of my, my favorite blues traveler band member, reminds us all the time. I love that song. Greetings from the Women's Rights in the Workplace radio show here in balmy New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Jack Tuckner and Deborah Orell here with you for another edition of our Women's Rights in the Workplace show, focusing on information that you won't find on the corporate media. Try, try as you might. Before we introduce our eminent guest today that we're very excited about having, let me mention that two weeks from today, October 13th, Columbus Day, there must be something in there we can use that hmm. they would, but, but people are, some people are off, be able to tune in um, at 5 p.m. And we will have with us Amanda Norejko uh, to speak about economic abuse as a form of domestic violence. Amanda is the director of the Matrimonial and Economic Justice Project at the Center for Battered Women's Legal Services at Sanctuary for Families. My old job. Uh, this is and is New York's largest nonprofit agency exclusively dedicated to serving the clinical, economic, legal, and shelter needs of victims of gender-based violence and their children. Ms. Norelsko is an attorney. Uh, who has been representing victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking in family law and matrimonial matters in New York City for more than 12 years. She engages in legislative and policy advocacy aimed at combating violence against women and promoting women's economic empowerment on the local, state, national, and international levels. So TiVo your desktop and make a note and notes, things Evernote or whatever other life planner you're currently using so you don't miss it. Today... September 29th. Deb? You know, and just the, the whole point on um, that particular topic, the economic abuse mm-hmm. of um, as, the, as a residual or an added to domestic violence, just because there's so much conversation right now, why not provide some more information? Because I had not, until we started talking about this, mm-hmm was really aware of economic abuse and what that actually means for women. Well, in the in, in the in light of this whole Ray Rice and all the this national conversation NFL that has sort of put a new spotlight now that the NFL is funding the hotline, domestic violence hotline, and apparently providing a lot more human beings to answer the calls that they never can answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been that whole sort of the in the zeitgeist, the trending hashtag why I stayed yes um, and and if you've read any of that it's really um, compelling right. I mean it's heartbreaking well because your choice is sometimes indigence homelessness or staying with right. some battering and or person. the the belief that this will work out this will be the only time it won't happen again my children mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well very important s- issue exactly with an ex- with one of the top practitioners, um, thought leaders in the field. So it'll be a great show. But today we have a great show, too, and we're here with Ron Catter, attorney at law. We're talking about elder abuse, also known as elder mistreatment or senior abuse, but it all comes down to doing bad, nasty, and cruel things to vulnerable old folk, Um, which you think would be of concern to all of us, as we all have 
parents, grandparents who may be lucky enough to live long enough to need assistance with their living. And for many of us, ourselves, the time is not too far off, and the day will surely come when we'll need to deal with hiring home health care aides mm-hmm. for ourselves, our loved ones, or perhaps we or our parents will need a nursing home before this life of ours or theirs comes to an end. And isn't it just pretty sad, outrageous, and nuts that we or the people we love may need to come to the end of their lives living with the indignities that we will sort of talk about, Ron will talk about, um, often exist. When you look at the statistics of what go on in sort of nursing homes today um, and the needless suffering to cap a life of, for many of us or many of our parents of independence and contribution and have to go out mm-hmm. in that sort of you know, appallingly I mean, I think most of us think about ourselves or our loved ones. Just think of the person you love most, a parent, a grandparent, a great uncle, a great aunt, who is having to to live through that neglect, emotional and physical. And most of us just get, just would, would I assume, get really upset, sort of inconsolably upset and angry that that's what's happening. But it's happening to many, many men and women um, in our nation's nursing homes and even in their own homes when they reach that state of vulnerability uh, and reliance on others for basic needs. Um, so, you know, to, and by the way, why this is relevant to, to our show, as you pointed out uh, earlier that before we went on the air, two-thirds of elder abuse victims, roughly, I think more than two-thirds, what was it, 67%, 67% are women, according to the National Center on Elder Abuse, Bureau of Justice Statistics. So um, it, it's a, it is a female issue and with, with, with so many examples in our modern-day world where, uh, as women draw the short stick at the raw deal or the bums rush, the worst of it and most of the things we talk about um, on this show. And the statistics are wild, which we'll talk about with Ron in a moment. So, and one more thing before we speak with Ron, this abuse is classless, right, in the sense that White privilege, male privilege won't help you when you no longer have youth privilege going for you. Elder abuse even happens to, what was her name, Ron? Um, Brooke Astor? Was Brooke Astor? You know, Brooke right. Astor was the great, the, uh, Brooke Astor, the, the, doyen, the, the doyen of New York's uh, yeah. high society and philanthropy, a multi, at least a multimillionaire, um, whose son was ripped her off for years and was convicted while she was in her dotage and her mind was slipping. Um, so nothing but an early death can save one from the vagaries of growing older and becoming vulnerable to abuse. So let me introduce Ron Catter, a progressive New York City attorney, someone who fights for justice for his individual clients, his consumers, uh, all consumers, whenever they <laughs> seek him out. I've known Ron for many years. He's a genuinely good guy lawyer. And you know what? Most of us who hate lawyers, and most of us hate lawyers for good reason. I'm always saying to clients, too, that you know, when, when you talk about it, they go, well, can't we get punitive damages and attorney's fees on our civil rights case? Yes, you can. At the end of the case, well, forget about punitives. We're going to get paid. The prevailing plaintiff gets her reasonable attorney's fees. So we may walk away with whatever the market may bear if we three hundred thousand dollars and you'll get thirty thousand and we the attorneys as you often read in a class action you know the attorneys got six point nine million and each member of the class got four hundred dollars in a metro card that's why people (laughs) hate lawyers ron catter actually is not working for a corporation he's not like our esteemed attorney general on his way out now um eric holder who's going back to the big firm Burlington and something or other where he came from. And all they do is represent the so-called silk stocking, right. like the silk stocking firm that represents the polluters and the biggest companies in the world that fight all consumer and client wrongs. Ron Catter has represented only plaintiffs for low these many years. Injured clients, their family members in and around New York City. He's achieved substantial financial recoveries for his clients in wrongful death cases, accident cases, professional malpractice, and, relevant to today's show, nursing home elder abuse cases. Ron's an accomplished litigator with significant trial and appeals experience both in state and federal courts, and he frequently lectures on different aspects of personal injury and negligence practice and on law firm management at bar associations for the continuing legal education of other attorneys. So he's an attorney's attorney. We're thrilled to have him here today. Finally, Ron is the chair of the New York County Lawyers Association's tort section, and he was co-chair of its solo and small firm practice committee back in the for up to the, the two, 2002 to 2007. So we're thrilled um, to have Ron here, who's admitted to practice in several states and before the Supreme Court of the United States. How are you, Ron? Jack, I'm great. Great to be here. Deborah, good to see you. you I'm too. very excited to uh, talk on this very important topic. 
Thank you. Uh, Thanks for being here. So and happy to uh, participate. Terrific. Well, thank you. And I, so I just want to just just jump right into it. Let's let's take a moment to consider. Um, well, well, let's just talk about elder abuse. It's not an. Is it an uncommon phenomenon, Ron? Is it? How, how, well, you know, because most no, people. I, th- I think what the issue you mentioned is that the people who are being abused are some of the most vulnerable people. Many times they are. Uh, have suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's or have other physical conditions that prevent them from reporting injuries to themselves. You know, they're not capable, they're not even, may not either be physically or mentally capable of communicating that to their caregivers or their family members or relatives. So uh, it's a vastly underreported Injury, I believe. Okay. Because the the, the victims are so un, unable to protect themselves, and something that you mentioned earlier. You know, we're talking about older people. We're we're all you know we're baby boomers in the right, room here. Right. We're all rapidly the, the baby boomer uh, cohort is rapidly entering the retirement age. You know, thousands upon thousands every day. You're, you're even over fifty now, right? Because you know I, your hair is still unbelievably I, wonderful. So thank you. I can't <laughs> tell from that mane of hair you have. Right. But yeah. Well. The, but for the uh, main of hair, I am still getting older. <laughs> but the nursing home population is, is predicted or forecast to grow immensely over the next 20 years. And in a system that seems hard-pressed to handle the caseload they have now, it's uh, you know really mm-hmm. of grave concern. What will happen to the system? How will the system have to change in order to take care of all the people who will need the help? So speaking of that, let me just start when you talk about underreported, which I'm sure it is. But here's the, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the National Center on Elder Abuse, the average number of elderly abuse cases each year is 2,150,000, which we then assume probably based on what you've said, how difficult it is, these are reported. I don't know, for every case that's reported, there's probably, you know, several that aren't. Is that probably fair to say? Fair to say. Okay, so millions, two over 2 million Average uh, reported cases each year. The percent of the elderly pop- population that will experience some type of abuse is close to 10%. So even assuming that with, with reported cases, one out of 10. If you've got 10 listeners right now, certainly one of them has an issue probably with a, with a, with a loved one or will with respect to elder abuse. Percent of female elder abuse victims, 67.3%. Now, do you think that's largely because just women, is that actuarial, women living longer? I, I believe the population in nursing homes is leans towards uh, female. Okay. Um, the median age of elder abuse victims, 779 The percent of white victims, here goes to my point about white privilege, white victims, 66.4%. Go figure. Now, actually, I don't know this. If you have a, if the percent of black victims is 18.7% and percent of Hispanic victims 10%, does that also perhaps speak to some economic um, you know, the, to an economic issue, that or you think? cultural, or cultural that people of color perhaps are just not either making it to that stage, or is it a, is it a, is it an economic issue? Well, I think that the numbers don't exactly parallel the population uh, dynamics, but roughly, you know, the majority of patients, the majority of uh, U.S. citizens now are still white, white, so right, the still. majority of patients in nursing okay. homes yeah. are largely white. You That's probably true. see more in you know ur- more. Minority patients in urban areas, okay. or this you know, southern overall, or right. you know, more areas okay. where there are minority populations concentrated. But overall, okay. I think that you know, like like most things with the government involved or uh, general services are being provided, you'll see a higher uh, white white population, especially in the aged population, which is much more white. Why? Because um, if Caucasian was the largest demographic mm-hmm. it's now as the as minority families have more children the population is getting younger so younger okay. there are more minorities right. which okay. is where the you know the shift is going to happen you know in total okay good point you'll explain it to me later yeah so the breakdown of reported elder abuse cases is interesting neglect 58.5 percent so that's enough just neglect i guess is a fairly broad you know if if, if we or our loved ones are being neglected bed guess, sores well but but neglect what is what define neglect for us neglect is basically uh not not providing the proper care the adequate adequate care the minimum care uh it's 
bed sore, press, bed sores are also called pressure ulcers. Mm -hmm. That's a preventable injury. That's where someone who is immobile for a long period of time suffers from too much pressure on a particular area that results in a uh, decrease in blood flow and ultimately a uh, elimination of blood flow in that area that makes it more susceptible to irritation, <laughs> rash, infection, and it becomes a deep tissue problem rather than uh, an issue that if someone had, they have preventions for that. They have if someone can't move and get out of bed, they have mat air mattresses that alternate pressure from different sections of the air mattress. Or if they can get out of bed or turn, okay. make sure that someone comes in and turns them every two hours. Make sure they're sitting up when they can sit up. Get the patient up out of the bed. Or take them for a walk if they can, right? Exactly. Saying they're being exactly. neglected because they don't have the person power to actually to do it on their own. People they around. may not be safe, right. you know, safe on their own. But that's going back to your uh, opening theme of uh, profits over people. Right. That there right. are uh, optimal staffing ratios to have in a nursing home, maybe one to 30 nur nurse, one nurse to 30 patients. That's optimal? That's required. And maybe they'll have more than that. Uh, one to thirty is uh -huh. required. No. That's just oh, okay. that may That's, be incorrect. Okay. Okay. But whatever the ratios okay. are, you might have nursing assistants. You know, they have multiple level of care. You have registered yeah. nurses. Right. You have L uh, LPNs. LPNs, licensed practical nurses. Right. And then they have CNAs, certified right. nursing assistants. So what the lowest paid are the certified nursing assistants. Right. The bulk of the Heavy lifting and physical Literally. work goes to them. They're paid the lowest salary. They're given the fewest benefits. Right. And they're asked to yeah. really share the uh, lion's burden in taking care of the patients mm -hmm. so that the but, bulk of, you know, the responsibility for taking care of the patients falls on an understaffed facility. But they shouldn't be understaffed. Right? And again, it comes back to, again, what we where we put our money in, our human capital and our, again, when, so when your mother is lying in a bed so long without moving when she could move or be moved or have a mattress that moves her that she's contracting or whatever the term is, developing bed sores, pressure ulcers. That's a lot of, of that, that immobility of just like laying there like a cadaver when they let her and ignore her. But that's abuse, right? It's absolutely. Always physical absolutely. Abuse. No, that's, that's what the neglect is, leaving someone in a, uh, a, uh, a diaper. In a wet, in a you know, incontinent okay, exactly. patient who needs to be changed regularly, whose skin needs to be cleaned and prepped so that it doesn't develop sores and rashes. That, you know, okay. that requires a lot of time and a lot of okay. effort. So in most nursing homes, and we'll get to some of these stats, but they're not, there's not insufficient support to get someone to go urinate when they need to, even if it's someone who can. I mean, not everybody in a nursing home, right, is... Um, is not is is not ambulatory, right? I mean, people right. are people you can get ninety, around. but you can right. get around. If right. you could go from the wheelchair even to the toilet seat with help, right? Right. But but, but a diaper but, will keep someone from having to do that for exactly, you. Exactly, right? exactly. And to get someone out of a wheelchair might require two workers to you know, someone to um, uh, stabilize the chair, someone to help the patient out of the bed. You put uh, the diaper on and change them, and you can leave them for hours. Okay. So the rest of these statistics, which I think paint a really sort of bleak, stark, important picture. So that was neglect. Fifty-eight point five percent of these 2,150,000 reported cases a year, almost 60% of neglect. Physical abuse, 15.7%. Physical abuse takes it to another level then? You're talking about, like, I'll smack you in the head because you're ringing the bell too often? Right, right. You know, you're talking about real uh, sadistic control behaviors or just sadistic behaviors to begin with, uh, with Caregivers who are totally, you know, shouldn't be they there. They have less. criminal records. Right. They haven't checked their records, or they're unsupervised. And again, the patients are so vulnerable that they are uh, inhibited from reporting it. You know, is that right, going to make right. their other care worse? Will they not right. be brought down for uh, right, breakfast right, or right, meals? Right. Will someone not change them if they give a hard time or report some? Uh, you complain, bitch. Activity? You know what? Well, you better watch your breakfast tomorrow. You complain about me right, today. So right. it's like a prison warden or right. some guard that, uh, exercises absolute control. Unbelievable. Someone. Financial exploitation: twelve point three percent. Is that okay? So explain when that does that come up only in home health care settings when they yeah, just that comes. You know, patients and residents in nursing homes have money on their you know on their person. They have wallets, purses. That money can be uh, stolen, taken without their permission, or taken okay. with their you know maybe they want to give it a gratuity or something to an aide to try to encourage them to 
to recognize that they were helping them and then the money isn't there, somebody else takes it. So there's you know theft that goes on. Also with elderly people in general, there's a lot of uh, uh, monetary scams where people are right, hustling them right. for money. So check to you because you're my, you know, you read about these things anyway. I will, something like a home health care, ingratiating yourself until they have changed the will. Or I'm going to give you a, here's $100,000 as a check because I, you know, but it's clearly not voluntary. Right, right? or someone's given an ATM or a an debit ATM, card exactly. to make grocery purchases and wow. they're making double, you know, they're purchasing right. their own and for their own account. is not exactly checking, they're balancing their checkbook right. anymore. Right, Probably, so you know, a, a lot of room for abuse. There. Wow. Emotional abuse, 7.3%. I assume these, some of these bleed together. The I think that's just, you know, not, not just, but yeah, similar to the physical or the... Okay. Uh, and the neglect. It's similar. Control issues and abuse issues. Right. And sexual abuse, 0.04%. I suppose that's the least of one's problems when you're 80 or 90 and dealing with these issues. Apparently, it's the lowest of the breakdown of elder abuse types of cases. Now, family perpetrated elder abuse. The percent of adult protective service cases that involve elderly abuse, a whopping 68%. So... Um, I don't know if you have any comment on that, but it's like, because I don't know what, if it's a self-selecting kind of group and protective, adult protective service claims, but it doesn't seem to be um, an aberration or something that's rare if almost 70% of cases um, that involve adults, the protective service are all elderly, right? I mean, right, I guess that makes right. sense. What else, who else needs that type of protection? Right. Mm-hmm. Percent of elder, elderly abuse perpetrated by adult children or spouses, 66%. So many of our Beloved progeny and offspring are the ones that are going to mess with Playing us. Into you. Right. And I wonder how does that uh, fit in with that prior statistic? Um, how does it fit in? I don't I mean, know. That, that was adults with. Uh, oh, the, the percent of percent of adult protective service cases that involve elderly abuse is sixty-eight percent. Percent of elderly abuse perpetrated by adult children or spouses sixty-six percent. Percent of murder victims over sixty who were killed by their own offspring forty-two percent, and percent of murder victims over sixty who were killed by their spouses twenty-four percent. So together, of of sixty-six percent of murders of seniors are by their closest loved ones. I don't know. Okay, but I don't know what that tells us, if anything. That's not that's still elder abuse. Absolutely, absolutely. Just in a culture that doesn't revere the way some cultures do, it's 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 elderly. Yeah. Uh, we're well, col- it, it is very challenging for families to care for certain types of relatives, patients who have true. Alzheimer's that may require full-time monitoring, full-time uh, bedside You might have care. to put them out of their misery. <laughs> well, but, but because we have a no, culture. You have to put them into a, a facility. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That, I, that's I a see. gut-wrenching okay. issue because they can't maintain, you know, maybe the relative can't maintain a job, right. can't take of care of their not. own children. They've got to take oh. care of their elderly uh, <coughs> parents, so they are forced to put them into a nursing home. That decision is never lightly made. Right. You know, there's a lot of uh, guilt with that. People don't want it. People try to hold on as long as they can. Maybe they hire outside help to come into the house periodically. But as time goes on, maybe the part-time care becomes needed full-time. So you need to have someone in the house 24 hours to help your elderly right. relative, and you just can't sustain it. So that's when you know a lot of people make the choice to put relatives in nursing well, but facilities. But isn't it just as expensive, if not more so? Well, I think we were talking about it, how Medicaid can pick up a lot of the uh, costs for the long-term nursing care if a person qualifies with a uh, income level that qualifies them for Medicaid, then they can be in a nursing care that's paid for by the okay, government. But, but again, I know that we're going to get into this in a little bit, but isn't to qualify for Medicaid, doesn't it basically require a showing of you know indigence? Yes, yes, okay. it absolutely does. Okay, so... You know, many, you know, of the middle class, of those of us that are still hanging on to middle class dumb by whatever thread, when you're talking about, what, what's, do you know the average cost to keep a seat? You don't know what it would cost? Um, uh, thousands, I mean, I guess it's safe to say it's many thousands per month, no? Uh, easily, easily. <clears throat> easily. Okay. You know, 20, I would say it starts at 20 grand a Okay, year. it's 20 grand a month. So unless a you're... A year, a year. A year? Okay. Um, 
that's probably a place you wouldn't necessarily yeah, want to put your. That's probably pretty low. That's probably pretty low. Yeah. Right. I think that's. I think that's one. The outdoor version with the. Uh, yeah, that's right. living in a yurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> okay, but so let me. This is the last statistic. I think this is most important, actually, as we're talking about the guilt and the difficulty that many of us are going to have to go through. Soon, rather than sooner, rather than later, but eventually. That's why it's amazing that we don't talk in this. We don't talk about. We don't talk about end of life issues. We don't talk about you know death really in this culture. We don't talk about this where, so the percent of nursing homes that lack adequate staff to properly care for patients, ninety one percent according to the Bureau of Statistics study. No, so nine out of ten more nursing homes simply are subpar, suboptimal. You wouldn't really want your favorite mother and father there, right? Because even your least favorite. Even your least right. favorite, right? Because you wouldn't want to think that that's something. Right. It's, gotta be, it's very right. painful to consider that. The percent of nursing homes that have been in violation of elder abuse laws is 36%. So I don't know if that comports with your own you know, practice, but that's still, if it's, if it's you know, more than one out of three that have been already in violation, right. there's a really good chance when 91% that are suboptimally staffed. The question is now... Let's just talk a little bit about it. And I just wanted to say, perhaps, just how do we compare to other cultures? Do you know? I mean, I, I know that in certain, in, 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 and I don't know which European countries or, or, or Nordic or Scandinavian countries, I know, though, that there is, just because if we had single payer, if we considered, considered health care a right of citizenship, I think we might not turn this into, although, you know, because, again, Medicaid requires eligibility that people then have to have to contort themselves to sometimes fine, right? Have right. To they have to spend down whatever assets all or of their money. They right. So they have so to... basically they have to impoverish themselves. Okay, which is also pretty creepy and unnecessary sure, that you have sure. to... No, well, it's like, uh, you know, you've worked, you've saved your whole life, right. you're hoping to, you know, in a middle-class way, pass something on to your exactly. family. And then your, your, your choice is either... Spend it down now under a legal uh, process, or give it all to the nursing home when you're and you end up admitted. But if you have to, then it'll, you'll six months. You'll have given all of your children's money to the nursing home, right, probably. Right. And then you know, so if you have a nice little nest egg of eighty grand, that's going to be gone. But now you're eligible to die in a nursing home, right. and the taxpayer will pay. Right. But you'll be dying in the nursing home with not the optimal care that we'd right, like to see least, for our parents. the least pleasant of circumstances. So, so the World Report on Violence and Health, on, on, on the chapter on um, elder abuse, says in some traditional societies, older widow, widows are abandoned and their property seized. Mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, rites of passage for widows in parts of Africa and India include practices that elsewhere would certainly be considered cruel. For example, sexual violence, forced Leverate. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the word. Leverate le marriages where a man is obliged by custom to marry the childless widow of his brother and expulsion from their homes. In some places, accusations of witchcraft, often connected with unexplained events in the local community, such as a death or a crop failure, are directed at isolated older women. And finally, in sub-Saharan Africa, accusations of the practice of witchcraft have driven many older women from their homes and their communities to live in poverty in urban areas. In the United Republic of Tanzania, an estimated 500 older women currently are accused of witchcraft and are murdered each year. These acts of violence have become firmly entrenched as social customs and may not be considered locally elder abuse. We would consider that elder abuse. Fortunately, yeah. Okay, so we don't necessarily have to, unfortunately, marry our brother's widow and do, and certainly I, I haven't really heard of a witchcraft beheading. Yeah, so we're doing year. better than uh, We're doing Republic better, but let's focus on, so let's focus on then, Ron, because I think something that most of our listeners would perhaps have some you know, passing affinity or some rational relationship to in terms of, again, the nursing homes. New York State alone, you how many nursing homes approximately are? I think it said about 1,500. Did you tell me that? For, give or take guess. a couple hundred? That was a give, that give guesstimate? A okay, a there's guesstimate. at least maybe a thousand. So there, there are tens of thousands of people probably in, in state nursing homes. Absolutely. Um, okay. So... Um, it, it seems to me that it would be important for people to know their rights when it comes to protecting yourself and your family. Do, do nursing home residents in New York have basic fundamental rights or not? Absolutely. They uh, do. Under state law, there's a, a, a patient bill of rights, it's called, and it protects nursing home residents and patients from physical, mental, and uh, treatment abuse. You know, there's a, there's a, a basic floor of treatment that is to be uh, afforded to someone in a nursing home, and when it's not delivered, a uh, patient has a right to complain about it 
and if they are injured as a result of that, a right to bring a lawsuit on their own under that statute to recover damages for their injuries. So New York law? New York law. Okay. Is there a federal law that you're aware of? Well, there are federal uh, codes that there's... It's not as strong as New York's law. That's a okay. very powerful right that people have in New York. Okay. And what, what some of the uh, minimum standards for a patient's rights can be established using federal law, using okay. the federal code of uh, regulations that set particular staffing and care okay. uh, requirements of a nursing home. So that's, okay. that's where the federal law comes into it. Because people may be listening in other states, I, I, I know you're a New York lawyer. The question is, New York's not known for its progressivity or, you know, in, in many areas. Is it likely that in New Jersey, Connecticut, or other states, it's a similar? It's not as uh, uh, popular as you think. I mean, I know that New York's okay. unusual really? in that in having that specific no private right of action okay. to bring a case. There may have, uh, other states may have causes of action where the Attorney General or Department of Health might be able to bring a case against a nursing facility, but in New York, the patient themselves have a private right to go into court and sue on their own behalf. Uh, state Supreme when, Court. State New York State Supreme Court when the uh, facility has violated those rules. And what remedies are there? Uh, dollar remedies. Dollars for pain and suffering. Uh, they are also entitled to get uh, reimbursed for the amount that Medicaid paid for their treatment during that period of time when the violation no is alleged. Wow. Um, so that's just, that's as just, well as attorneys. That's got fees. some teeth in it. That yes. remedy. Okay. Yes. And you've handled and that's more these recently cases. come into its own. There were some questions. Uh, I think the law dates probably to the seventies or so, and there were questions in various courts whether if you alleged a common law or just a general negligence law uh, cause of action, whether you could also bring the uh, public health case against the provider as well. And it's taken some time, but that's pretty much the consensus among the courts that this is a viable private right of action in addition to any common law or just general negligence principles that would apply to this uh -huh. case. So people do have some juice. You could kick a little us in court, as right? Said, okay, you, you said, can. Yeah. No, but that's so that's important <laughs> to know that. But we're not. This is not one of those. You know, deal with it. It's hopeless if people are aware of the rights that they or their family members have. So, are those rights? Um, are they embodied anywhere? That you know, do we? Can we enumerate them for people? Uh, well, they're in the public health law, and. I mean, you just you 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 summarize them, and I guess it does. You simply say you have the right to to not be abused and to have. Uh, adequate treatment, uh, you know, that sort of sums it up, right? But it's basically the right to appropriate levels of care f for your emotional, physical, and mental state? Right. Well, this, the law, the public health law states specifically, every patient shall have the right to receive adequate and appropriate medical care, to be fully informed of his or her medical condition and proposed treatments unless medically contraindicated, and to refuse medication and treatment after being fully informed of and understanding the consequences of such action. So that failure to comply with that uh, admonition or that, that rule will enable someone to sue a facility. And the way that you prove or that one proves in court what the standards are is then by relying on federal codes and state codes what what should be done in particular types of cases. Okay. But that seem, probably seem a little bit kind of common sense-like when you think about, right, what should have been done in this case. If they deviate from whatever the reasonable care standard may be. It's not even, uh, in, in most of my cases, it's a negligence level of care. It's not the deviation from a standard of care. It's a duty to care and a breach of that duty. And then as a result of that breach, there's an injury. So, for example, a patient falls in a nursing home uh, because uh, no one was monitoring, monitoring them around the bed. They weren't supposed to get out of bed. They got up, they went to the toilet, they tripped, and they hit their head and suffered a brain, uh, catastrophic brain injury and ultimately succumbed to that. So the nursing home's uh, defense is, well, we tried. We knew uh, this patient was a risk for falls. He came in. He was disoriented. The family brought him in, in fact, because he was falling so much right, at home that right. they couldn't tend to him. Right. So we knew that. So we put him in a wheelchair and uh, put a safety belt on the wheelchair. And then we tied it because he was able to open it up. But unfortunately, he was able to untie the cord that they used to fasten him in, and he got up and hit his head. And that was a, de a deviation. It wasn't a deviation. It was that they 
They claimed that they did everything they could, but what we had to show was that there were other methods to restrain, not to restrain him, but to warn the, the caregivers that he had left the bed or left the wheelchair. There are, for example, there are pads like mats you can place on the floor in a nursing home. When someone steps on it, the alarm goes off. Okay. Or some other type of uh, uh, monitor that they wear that when they stand up, the alarm like goes off. Like a sensor. Off. Like right. a sensor, right, a motion sensor. Uh -huh. But it doesn't even have to be that sophisticated. You know, just some, a pad that you step on, it makes electrical, you know, he makes a contact that a buzzer goes off. Right. So there are other less restrictive means to... Uh, make sure that this patient wouldn't get up and hit his head. So even and, when they say, what do you want from us, you know, where it's not an, an outrageous, appalling case, where it's like, come on, the guy, was he's a, he's a slip and fall risk. We tried. We buckled him in. We can't watch him every two seconds. When they cut, I assume they said all of this, like, what do you want from us? It's like he's already, that was still a viable claim, I take absolutely, it. Okay. Absolutely. And he was an elderly gentleman. He was in his 80s, and he didn't, uh, you know, New York, unfortunately, is one of the few states that still does not allow family members to recover for emotional injury in personal injury or wrongful death cases. Unless you're, like, right there or something when it happens. If you're in the zone of danger, right. but that's a real uh, hard, hard standard to meet. Right. What the, the law, in wrongful death cases, the law measures uh, the pecuniary loss to the uh, legatees, which means, you know, what, what people lost financially as a result of this person's dying. You know, what income did they lose? Was he a... Uh, provider a, of some sort? Provi exactly. Was he a breadwinner for someone somehow? And does that translate into a dollar loss that they uh, can then but see But most of these people aren't at this point. But yeah, most of the people are not supporting anyone and can't show that. Some are, but most are not. So uh, to have this cause of action uh, that they are entitled to the Medicaid payments and they're entitled to pain and suffering for this uh, this this statute helps a lot. Okay, so you have a relative now who it's getting increasingly difficult on the, and every family's got a different situation, but it still comes down to, and most people out there, I mean, I assume, again, the, the uber-wealthy will always have a way, whatever, They'll, they can retrofit their home and have 24-7 care and have gurneys and Hoyer lifts and whatever. It's never going to be an issue. But the vast majority of us out there are going to struggle with mom, dad, you know, one parent predeceases another, and we can no longer, and mom can no longer take care of herself. We have to put her in a place. We want her to have some measure of dignity and ease and pleasure before she dies, or we would opt if we were able to for assisted suicide and let her go out with a party and her loved ones around. Well, I'm serious, because at least in hospice care, right, when people mm -hmm. are, you can have that or you can make that sort of happen, right? But most of us think of nursing homes, and I think it's, you may or may not agree, you've probably been to more of them than I have, that it's like something from a little bit from American Horror Story. It's well, I don't think they're that. They're not <laughs> that bad. They're not. They're yeah. often. Uh, uh, it's not Willowbrook, nineteen seventy-one. It's not, right. it's not okay. a. It's not an asylum uh, <laughs> conditions, but they're less than uh, happy places, you know. And, well, well, and well, I see you don't you're have leading enough. with this, but well, no. Well, I guess so. What I'm just saying. So, what yeah. do you do? So, first of all, what do people do? What would you do? You have the same thing, so that you make sure that with the place we're putting mom is closer to one i mean I, I, to a better one than than a willowbrook one or an american right. horror story one that is an asylum i think a lot of it is uh just trying to find people who can refer the facility to you can, can you get recommendations from people you trust can you speak to some leader in the community uh, you know minister rabbi someone who deals with these issues more frequently than others or a hospital or doctors and see what they think are okay. good facilities. You need to look up the facility. And I mentioned when we talked earlier that there are some ratings that are... Where are, they, I, where are those ratings? There are ratings on Medicare, Medicare.com. Medicare.com. rate really? the uh, okay. nursing homes. You can find oh. that rating. Oh, because okay. part of the, the initial nursing home stays, I think it's the first 100 days in a nursing home, are paid for... Uh, in full okay. by the by Medicare, okay. and then the rate goes down after Medicare that. Or Medicare, Medicare initially, oh, okay, for short term stays. Okay, but after the initial hospitalization and the initial admission to the nursing home, their rates become uh, uh, not meaningful. The payments they pay back. So that's why Medicaid would be the uh, okay. provider of choice. So one can go on Medicaid.com. It's kind of like Zagat's. 
and you can look right. for the well, five social, star social security administration you could work your way into the from those sites okay to medicare so, okay. and new york state department of health has a listing of oh, facilities very good. list complaints and you can do all you know you can do, do online do research if you can obviously if you want to if you're thinking about a place you should visit it you should right. talk with okay. the administrators talk with patients if they're willing to uh you know uh, open themselves up to a stranger talking about the facility. Is that possible? Facility. It's not did, not impossible. Didn't you have? To, did you go through that yourself personally with a family member? Uh, a short term. Short term. Short term. Okay. Okay. So uh, no horror stories. And, no horror stories. It was okay. a nice facility. It was a clean facility. Okay. But uh, okay. you know, on my entering the facility, there were a row of people in wheelchairs. Uh, some, you know, just looking like they were zoned out on, on some sort of medication, you know, in stupors. Some calling out for help, asking me to help them to contact relatives uh, to get them out of there. And, you so know, it's I don't like know, they may have been Alzheimer or, okay. or dementia. But it's sad if it's like going into the Eastern Correctional Facility and the people are behind going, filthy screws, filthy screws, <laughs> and you just try to go, help me out, call, please, right, call me. Right, you, right. You, you gotta, they're pulling at your pants. Right, right. So, okay. And then, you know, so, the basis, there was a short, you know, a family member was in on short-term uh, stay in one of those facilities for rehab. You know, people go in for rehab and wind up staying there for the rest of their lives, unfortunately. Rehab in a nursing home. Rehab, you know, dist- they, they were hospitalized for an acute condition. They were stabilized oh. in the hospital. And they were discharged because they still needed nursing observation, but they couldn't go home. Okay. So they're there for, you know, a few weeks. Maybe. Okay. So what does someone do so you do all the research you make the best possible choice you put mom in this facility and now you're noticing maybe some bruises maybe some depression maybe some symptoms of well, some what sort are you noticing, right what okay are well what are you noticing glad you asked me that uh you're noticing bruises you're noticing pressure marks, you're noticing uh, abrasions, maybe burns on the body. Where did these come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got to, in, you know, if you ask your relative or the patient and they can't explain it to you, well, then, you know, that then immediately you need to find a supervisor, a nursing supervisor. They have to explain it to you immediately. Right. They have to get records. If they can't explain it, they've got to get the records produced. You know, you've got to have answers right away because those are signs of abuse. You know, the pressure sores, you see they're not being moved. If they're bruised, what are they doing? Does that, you know, there are negligent ways to be bruised in an abusive way. Maybe they're picking them up out of the bed to put them in the wheelchair in a, you know, in a very rough manner. That's hurting them. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're just so uh I mean, you mentioned uh, the case the, the other day when, when we were speaking about this. Was some, they, they, she fell, uh, a patient fell between, got wedged in between the right. toilet right. and the... That bar, the handrail, yeah, yeah, the, the handrail, hand and they yanked her. Right. Right? Instead of removing the handrail, they yanked her out. And what right. happened to? And she suffered a fractured hip. You know? <laughs> fractured hip, hip only. Okay, so fracture with a delocate with a dislocation. You know, so it's, it's not the it's not for uh, necessarily that they're intent on abusing the patient or hurting them. Right. But they're not trained. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the supervision. So in that case, the patient was there for uh, rehab for other. Uh, what they call, you know, a heart failure, diabetes, kidney problems, and she was there to recuperate and try to get back home. She had been living at home, and wh- and she was a risk of fall. So while she was there, she needed to use the toilet, and they sent in an aide who was much smaller than she was, who was not able to support her. So after you know trying to help her off the toilet, she wasn't able to. The woman collapsed onto the floor. The patient, my client. And she was wedged between the toilet bowl and the handrails. So they, they couldn't bring in a, an apparatus that might have been used to lift a patient without causing more harm to them because the rooms were not designed to permit that. More the negligence right there. was too narrow to let that piece of equipment in. So that was negligence, misdesign. Uh, and then instead of having maybe the plumber come up or someone figure out a way to remove the hardware in the toilet, they actually had several orderlies come in and try to yank her out by her arms from this wedged position. And they succeeded, but they broke her leg at the same time. And, you know, they're obviously less, they could have tried, you know, putting uh, olive oil on the hardware to try to slip her out or do something. But they were not the brightest people or the best trained or, you know, I'm I'm being generous, but, you know, they were terrible. They were horrible. They were morons who had no sense. 
Right. And whoever supervised them had no sense. Wow. And also, to what you said before about noticing um, a loved one being more in a stupor, because don't mm-hmm. they oftentimes mm-hmm. try to, you mm-hmm. know, drug them to calm them down and, you know, the adverse? That's the most insidious thing, I think, of all, right? Well, that's a very uh, acute problem now, that uh, psychotropic drugs are being prescribed to nursing home Mm. patients when they're not necessarily appropriate. They're not being prescribed by a psychiatrist necessarily, but maybe by a house staff physician or a nurse in the facility. And these drugs really uh, sedate the patients much more than necessary. (laughs) They confuse the patients. uh, They become more disoriented, and they're harmful. And there may be... A patient may be, uh, you know, they usually refer to agitation. A patient is agitated, so we have to, you know, prevent the agitation, which means they're calling out, they're physically uh, uh, resisting assistance or resisting going to the toilet or staying in their bed. So an administration of a psychotropic drug will knock them out. They'll still be conscious, but they'll just be staring off into space. But when you say, I think And you're that's being, abuse. Right. Yes. Well, that's okay. abuse. That's malpractice. That is, would be medical malpractice, right? I mean, when, when you're, because again, you're being kind, I think, when you talk about, you know, these psychotropics. It's not as if they're a little agitated or depressed or whatever, and they're offering them, you know, a, a vaporizer of cannabis, which might actually help, <laughs> or or a Valium or an Ativan, which they might just say, okay, I feel a little bit better. They're giving them Haldol antipsychotics, right? Right, that are, right. They're inappropriate. Totally unless... inappropriate. You know, I think they say in the general population, those are prescribed 2% of the time. And in nursing homes, they're prescribed to 20% Un-fucking of the patients. Unbelievable. That's terrible. Ten times right? but the that's, amount. But that's and just, that's, you know, that's it's like a lobotomy, though, instead right? Of, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they're like in a uh, zombie-like trance, and they're just sitting there. So, I mean, that's obvious when someone, you come in and your yeah. relative is like that, you'd certainly ask what's going on. But so, even with, with going back to the agitated state, instead of finding out why are you agitated, you know, you don't know. Maybe, they're, uh, maybe they haven't been changed in three days right. and they have a, a rash uh-huh. that's, you know, burning them and they need to communicate that. Or maybe the roommate is giving them a hard time or something. But rather than investigate the actual cause of the agitation, often it's just, oh, they're agitated, let's prescribe this and that's horrible, get them out of yeah. our hair. Wow. And that's a big issue also, that the patients who uh, cause the least hassle are the favorite patients in the homes because they require the least attention and assistance, you know, out, of, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Because you're half a vegetable. Right. Haldol. Right. So yeah. what does one do? Clearly the, you know, the resident, the patient isn't in a, necessarily in a position to do anything, so... You think mom is being abused in some fashion. What do you do? Well, I think you have to investigate. You have to, you know, get some answers. Part of what we're saying, even even without the uh, administration of the uh, Haldols or the psychotropic drugs, if you know, if someone notices that their relative is a little less communicative or more subdued or a little, you know, not willing to talk, that's a sign that maybe they're covering up something and that there is some abuse going on and that they don't want, you know, they're concerned they're going to become more abused, more of a victim if they reveal it to you and they tell on the... Uh, it's like bullying back in junior high school. Uh, the even, right, person you know. is doing yeah. it, that they will get hurt more. Okay. So you, if, you, if someone senses that their relative is being a little cagey or not really sharing what's going on, that's an immediate source of concern. And you should go right to the director of the home and say, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And make them document and show you the records and show you what's been going well, on. Well, when you say make them, do you need notice? Is it, does the statute require, like, notice first? Mm, no, you don't require notice. The, the biggest issue is with... Uh, is with HIPAA. A big issue is with HIPAA, which is the uh, Health Insurance Privacy and Portability Act, which limits access to medical records so that only the patient is the individual who's entitled to see their medical records. So some places do pull the HIPAA card and say, I can't give you that information. That's, you know, subject to your uh, privacy. Your, your, That's your, not waivable. Your cousin, your aunt said, you know, she hasn't signed a waiver for you. So that's she, why. She could. She could, oh. but if she's in this condition, maybe she, she can. Maybe you need to get a guardian appointment. You need I to be appointed see. a guardian. That's going to take six months. <laughs> okay, so. Does so it, a, a, lot of, a lot of the, you know, I deal with people, I address their concerns after the fact when they are 
have been injured and the family notices a fracture. I was mentioning to Jack, I have a client who uh, uh, I was brought in because the family noticed bed sores, pressure ulcers, and I was brought in to be retained, and I went to meet with the patient and the mother, and the mother observed a, uh, a redness on the leg that we questioned the nurses about, and lo and behold, she had a fractured leg that nobody had picked up on. Oh, my God. So, you know, dropped so her or dropped uh, something on her. You know, who knows how that happened? Uh, that's but she could. The patient wasn't able to tell us she was suffering from conditions that prevented her from that. But uh, you know, planning ahead goes a lot, a long way into these uh, admissions. So perhaps if someone's going to be admitted, they would think maybe they want to have a power of attorney that someone could sign power a health care release for them. Okay. There are specific ones for health care okay. information. Maybe Got they it. want a general power of attorney to take care of their uh, financial needs. Uh, we. Long-term care insurance is something that people should think about. You know, I'm not here to shill for that, but that's a way to have means to pay for. Is that actually still? Because, for instance, with my parents, that ship has sailed, and for many of us, you know, I've seen. Oh, I keep telling my mother, do not stop making that payment because oh, well, you're not living well, with me. Well, can you imagine? My parents don't have it, and they need it. But so, is it affordable if you start it when you're younger? Like, should we be paying for that? I, I think don't know. you should look into it. Do and, you? Uh, have I looked into it? Well, do you have a little it? Bit. I don't have it, <laughs> okay. but I have the. Uh, I mailed out the coupon to get the information <laughs> on long-term care from the cereal box. What was uh, it? Okay. From the uh, yeah. Okay. The from gruel box. Okay. Box of gruel in the nursing home. Well, that's interesting. So long-term. Yeah, that's one insurance. way. And I think you know there is. Uh, I've talked to people about you it have generally. It. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. I don't. I have some nonsense disability coverage. People uh, people say, you know, if you're paying the premium, maybe it's just better to put away that money. If you have that money to pay the premium on the long-term care insurance, maybe you're just better banking that money and investing it. No, but then you'll but then you'll need, you'll use it up in four months right. if you go to a, a nursing home, though, right. also, right? If right. you have to go to a, right. um, but uh, the time to get nursing long-term care is when you're working and healthy. Okay, but it just here's another. When you're being, the 2020 hindsight that you get from seeing patients after, clients after they, their family member has been hurt, would you tell them then in terms of an empowering strategy that if you come in and you, you suspect or this is screwed up and you're, you know, he's, he's not as communicative dad or whatever, that you should, instead of just saying, I want the nurse here and ask questions, that perhaps you send a letter to the director and send it in some provable way. Does that get anybody's attention if you say, I think like... You, you've got to do both. You've got to say, I want the nurse here, come into the... You know, I'm not leaving until I find out what happened. And then I think you've got to document it. And you document. say, I was here on Sunday, I saw Dad, he had bruises all over his arm, no one was able to explain them. I'm copying the Department of Health on this. Okay, I, right. I need an answer by the, you know immediately, right. or I'm going to go take it to the next level, because you know this. It, and the next level would be what? you. Well, but is it? But it's not you if there's not, no injury, right. right? It's not. I'm only. I'm there to help when people have uh, recognizable injuries, and I, well, bruised pop had bruises on his arm is not yet. You know. I, I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, that wouldn't uh, okay. merit a lawsuit. But a bruise on the arm is a sign of more That abuse. they're drugging him would not be? Uh, That's like borderline? It's 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 a case if it's caused some permanent There's injury. No it's same back to harm long-term injury. Right. So, you know, I, I, again, the law doesn't know. Uh, we, we know. make it yeah. easy to recover unless you've suffered some permanent injury. But you, know, you can example, stop it. Nobody wants the permanent injury. No, so I, you I would you. say stopping it is the uh, priority. Stop stop it before they have to come to me. So when they get a FedEx letter or certified mail that's copied to the Department of Health where you're saying, you know, you picked on, like, the wrong family with this one. We're on. We're watching you. Maybe that will, you know, they'll pick on someone else who doesn't have somebody who knows how to right. do that. At least they'll be alerted to it. You know, you, okay. you put them on notice. You can't come okay. back and monitor. Um, and say what's going on. They'll say we don't know about it. You know, there's so many shift changes and people working at different times. The person you see on when you visit may not have been there when the incident occurred. May not be there when the letter arrives. Right. So you do have to, you know, paper, paper trail it. Paper trail. Okay. Paper trail. You know, we just—I told you time flies. We have about five minutes left. When you're having fun and you have uh, a smart, progressive lawyer to talk to, let me ask you the, another one of your little niche specialties, yeah. um, which I frankly never really heard of until you told me. The loss of right of sepulcher, is that how you pronounce it? Yes, yes. That's okay. a, uh, you want to that's explain a, that? uh, a word that refers to entombment. And right. It's a, it's a cause of action that uh, empowers people whose deceased relatives' remains have been mishandled to bring a 
claim against the party that mishandled them. Typically a nursing home, a funeral home, not a nursing home. I t- a funeral home. A funeral home or a uh, cemetery okay. or a medical examiner's office. Sometimes uh, a morgue at a hospital might be involved. Now, now, this happens with a little more frequency than one might expect? Right. I think uh, it's, again, it's, you know, profits profits over people. A lot of the funeral homes are working on a volume basis. They've got a lot of uh, bodies, a lot of <laughs> bodies piling up. <laughs> And uh, they don't always, you know, give them the attention that they deserve. So some of the cases I've been involved with have involved, have uh, uh, been one of them that particularly, you know, uh, emotional and hurt, hurtful for the family was a case where a, uh, a baby was, uh, a baby died and the family brought the remains to the funeral home or arranged for them to uh, pick them up from the hospital morgue and prepare it for a funeral and burial. And on the day of the funeral, when the family was there and their relatives were assembled for a funeral mass, uh, the casket was opened and there was another uh, Unbelievable another moment. remains in the imagine? casket. And, another baby. And another baby's remains. And initially, the funeral home argued with the parents, saying, oh, no, that's your baby. And they, because it was dressed in their baby's communion clothes that they had brought in for him to be buried in. But oh, man, uh, that could like rip your heart out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's very tragic. The family was upset. The funeral home argued for a little while. You know, several hours later, they located the correct uh, remains. And where the was the funeral? Had to be postponed. Baby was there. The the other people had the you know they'd switched the uh, remains is what their explanation was. Uh, but you know the the funeral was postponed. People had to come. People had come in from out of town. They had to come back. You know, very heart wrenching for the family. Yeah. You know, it's adding. Uh, insult to injury they suffer the loss of their child and then have to have a uh, a gruesome discovery yeah. on the day of the funeral when they're trying to you know lay the child to rest wow we might call this posthumous elder abuse it's along the sister continuum well, right? except yeah, for this was not an infants. elder right no, this, and, and you know this, it's more common than you said, than you'd think and what other than being, it's probably usually not infants, just what other scenarios in this sort of gruesome, macabre? Oh, when people's uh, wishes are not respected, someone may have uh, expressed in a will or in another directive that they wish to be cremated, and uh, a relative decides that they're to be buried in a casket in a grave. So that's uh, another wrong. That well, who, who's, who may, who's, who's wrong, who is the wrongdoer? Well, if the funeral home didn't have the proper authority okay. to perform that okay. uh, burial than they would be or the cemetery would be. And you mentioned at least a couple of cases you're aware of. One, that it was uh, a a, uh, a poorly, uh, what's the word, preserved? Oh, body. yes, yeah. Sometimes the, uh, again, where there's a question of a uh, post, uh, an autopsy or there's some delay in getting the body, it's important that the funeral home preserve the remains in order that the family may wish to have an open casket, and sometimes they're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not uh, done properly, so there are, are gruesome effects, gruesome results that the family, uh, you know, anguishes over really? at the funeral again. Ron Catter, we went from having four minutes left to apparently our closing music, so can you just tell our view- listeners where to find you? Sure. I'm uh, Ron Catter. My phone number is 212-809-4293. Uh, my website is www.catterlaw.com, K-A-T-T-E-R-L-A-W.com. And you can download a brochure you have on uh, nursing homes, a guidebook to protect against abuse and preserve right. you your legal website, rights. Right. It's very email. helpful. You can get that, well, thank you uh, very much, Ron, for coming in and oh, talking pleasure. to our listeners today. Appreciate it. A lot of great information. Good. Maybe you'll join us again sometime. Good exchange. Terrific. And for our listeners, a reminder, in two weeks, don't miss... Uh, our show on economic abuse as a form of domestic violence with the leading uh, practitioner from the Battered Women's Legal Services at Sanctuary for Families, Amanda Norejko. And we will see you, though, next week at 5 p.m. right here, Eastern Time, on the Progressive Radio Network. Until then, from Deborah O'Rell and Jack Tucker and Ron Catter, we're saying have a strong and powerful week. And remember, Deb, don't quit your job. Call a lawyer before you do that. And we are finally out.
Hi, this is Jack Tuckner, host of Women's Rights in the Workplace show on the Progressive Radio Network. And I'm proud to be part of the PRN family of hosts and the work we do here promoting progressive ideals for inquiring minds. For the past 12 years, PRN has been advertisement-free and has never held a fundraiser before. But over the past few years, it has become increasingly difficult, and the time has come to ask for your support. Won't you please be a friend of PRN and commit to a monthly recurring donation of $20, $50, $75, or even $100, whatever you can afford. This will ensure that PRN will be able to continue to bring you the latest breaking stories and hottest topics reported and discussed from a progressive point of view. And isn't that what we need about now? Just go on PRN's homepage and click on the subscribe button. With each subscription, you'll receive a free DVD from the terrific Gary Null Library. Thank you very much for your support.